0: My name is Scott Chaloner, and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very cool spring morning here in the capital, but I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add a little bit of warmth and brightness to affairs today is Graham Hastings Evans, the chief executive of NOCN Group, an international and UK-based education and skills charity which works with employers to support them to upskill their workforces. Uh, Graham, very warm welcome to yourself today, and by all means, thank you for joining us on the show.
1: Yeah, no, great to meet you. Uh, I'm actually in Sheffield, so we've got snow on the Pennines.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I love the it even down here as well, uh, so yeah, I think it's pretty (laughs) much everywhere. Um, But yeah, absolutely, Graham. So um, obviously you're heavily involved in uh, skills in uh, your line of work, and skills or perhaps... Uh, to, put, to, to put it better, the lack thereof is a huge topic at the moment in the uh, the UK, particularly so in the uh, the construction industry, and that's something that, of course, I want to uh, focus a little bit on today. Because by 2025, that sector will actually need to recruit an additional 217,000 new workers just to sort of meet demand, and that's from the forecast of the Construction Skills Network for 2021 to 2025, which was published um, in the middle of last year by the CITB. Um, So we know that there's a skill shortage. It's quite long-standing in this industry as well. But from your perspective, what are some of the main drivers behind that skill shortage? Why is it there in the first place?
1: I think think there are two changes. One, clearly, um, as a result of Brexit, uh, a large number of uh, people that worked in the construction industry have gone back to predominantly Eastern Europe. Um, So that's part of it, the supply... Uh, One factor is it's not seen as a particularly attractive industry uh, to work in. So it's always been very difficult to uh, encourage recruits, um, which is a bit of a surprise, really, in in the sense it is a very well-paid occupation, uh, but but it isn't seen as an attractive occupation and isn't seen as a valued occupation. And some of that goes back to the information young people get at school. Uh, hence the Baker clause that there's been a lot of discussion around, um, and I think we we need to tackle some of, some of that. And there's there's major changes within the sector. Virtually um, every job within the sector is being digitised in some form. So there's there's significant drivers there, and there's also big demand. Um, there's, a, there's a real requirement for investment in the infrastructure uh, within the country, improving roads, improving rail, improving airports, improving the quality of our housing, uh, making the whole of our office and housing estate um, compatible with our net zero uh, requirements uh, for not just us, for the, for the whole globe. There's enormous change that's, cre- that's creating this skills demand and the gap that we can now see at all levels in the industry.
0: Yeah, exactly. And when the government talks about, you know, levelling up and building back better, it's going to need the construction workforce in order to deliver that. So obviously addressing that skills shortage is going to be very important. Um, Going back obviously to um, the first factor actually that you mentioned there, uh, Graham, which was Brexit. Um, Do you think in some senses that maybe the industry has been a little bit too reliant on foreign labour sort of prior to us leaving the European Union?
1: I think it always has been. Um, I started in the construction industry 50 years ago, um, so I think we've always re- uh, been reliant on that. It, there's, it's been a, a systematic problem within the industry to attract enough recruits, and it does come back. So I think um, some of the way the industry is portrayed in, in schools and in education has been a, not a particularly attractive industry to go into. Um, unfortunately I can remember um, my own time at school which I know is quite a long time ago but teachers going well if you're no good at school you might have to go into the construction industry and I think we still have some of those strains within the IAG uh, and the presentation of the industry uh, to young people and I think that's uh, something that CITB and others have tried to tackle over the years and we've never really quite got there and i think we need a a revised effort to encourage people because it is a really great industry to work in
0: yeah there's a very big difference isn't there between that sort of negative perception and the reality because as you've talked about um obviously people look at it as a kind of a low-paid really difficult working condition sort of sector but that's actually really not the case i mean albeit you might have to work hard in construction the remuneration is actually quite good and i think you do raise a valid point that you know there's a lot of there's been a lot of emphasis on sort of more academic subjects over the years particularly within education and perhaps we need ministers to now start to focus more on the sort of vocational side of things because by and large these are the skills that we need
1: yeah i, I agree and i think one of the one of the problems we've got I, I spoke at the annual apprenticeship conference uh, over this very point is that these type of practical skills aren't valued um, we, we put too much value on academic skills and not enough on these practical skills. Um, but our country needs these practical skills. Our economy needs these practical skills, not just in construction. You know, there's retail, there's hospitality, there's other sectors that need them. But we, just, we are too academically focused, unlike Northern Europe and Eastern Europe, where practical skills are valued uh, as highly, if not high, more highly, than academic skills. And we need to change that paradigm within the UK.
0: We certainly do. And um, if we don't happen to do that, what are some of the consequences that you think we might see in the longer term? Because we're already starting to see supply and chain squeeze, construction output falling. It fell sort of each month consecutively between April and October last year. And we're already seeing, because there's such a demand for skills, wages obviously being pushed up but, um, for firms as a result of that as well. And obviously you've got to look at the sustainability of that too
1: you have um i mean it's becoming quite it's interesting because we are involved in training people and qualifying people as apprentices and because of wages rising within the sector it's really difficult to get tutors and teachers and assessors because they can be paid 50 percent more to actually stay working in the industry Uh, so you get all sorts of problems uh, that, that arise therefore If you can't get people to teach people the skills and assess them, uh, then suddenly you're making the the skills shortage worse. Uh, And and we are not in a a brilliant place over all of this. Um, And we do need to tackle it strategically. And unfortunately, I just don't think the government policies, um, and some of them are good policies, but I just don't think they're going to uh, do what's necessary to address the skills problems within the construction sector. They're too academically based. Um, They don't understand the needs of the sector. Um, And we are going to continue with this problem unless there's a fairly radical change, Um, not only just to the way uh, we, we educate people to get into the sector in the first place, the younger people but to get people to move between sectors. There's a large proportion of people that enter construction are, are adults and they're coming from other sectors. And we don't have really a viable way properly of training those people to move from one sector to the other particularly easily. Um, and we we talk about the levelling up agenda and building back better, but our our system of apprenticeships and qualifications actually currently don't support that process very well at all so we we need some real radical change in government policy not only within the education department but within leveling up department as well mm.
0: and i suppose obviously the entire situation has also been exacerbated by the pandemic as well hasn't it because that's been another driver of you know sort of those foreign workers going back alongside brexit and you know, we're also seeing the impact of an aging population as well. You're seeing, of course, that a lot of those people coming into construction are adults, and eventually they're going to hit that retirement age. They're going to leave the industry, and they're also going to need to be replaced. So, there are other factors in play here, aren't there?
1: There are, and they've been around for a while. I was I headed up the employment and skills on the building of the London Olympics just over ten years ago now, um, and we could we 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 could see this problem coming, you know, and a relatively aided workforce that's going to start retiring and we just haven't done enough um, that problem is still with us um, because we're not attracting enough young people into the industry at the beginning nor are we pulling enough perhaps 25 30 year olds into the industry um, because we have just not got the, the right policies and the right programs to properly train people uh, and qualify them in these practical skills and um, even if we can overcome the problem of it's not an attractive industry to work in, we don't really have the wherewithal in terms of policy and programmes to to properly recruit people. And that's despite a lot of phenomenal hard work by CITB over the years um, and the construction industry to make the environment uh, working in construction much safer, much better, much more attractive. You know, enormous changes have taken place in the last 20 or 30 years to do that. And that's really great, but we just don't have the you know, the apprenticeship set up right the qualifications set up right so that we can actually properly recruit to the workforce and we don't have the message about how attractive the industry is to work in right either right the way through the education system
0: Yes, exactly right. And industry, as you say, it's really, really stuck its neck out to try and address the problem over the uh, the last few years. And there's a lot of rhetoric, isn't there, that, oh, it's industry's role, of course, to you know keep its own house in order. But you're absolutely right in what you're saying. I mean, we need governments and we need further education to sort of work with industry on this, to kind of build better bridges between further education and the workplace. And what seems um, also really important to me as well is that when you look at these apprenticeship schemes, there needs to be more flexibility for people who want to upskill and want to train, but perhaps do have childcare commitments and other things. So making apprenticeships more flexible—that's also going to be a very, very key part of this.
1: I think that I think that's right. Um, uh, they aren't flexible enough, and what we haven't got right is good um progression routes for people to develop um we we've got part of the european system and i I, when i was young i worked in europe so i've I've actually got some personal experience of of, of, uh, developing skills in construction uh, under the european system when i was young um We've got elements of the European system of progression uh, and flexibility, but we haven't got them all. And we've got a mantra, unfortunately, that we want to get everybody to level three and A level. And the bulk of the construction workforce isn't at that level at all, is at level two. Um, but with the need to progress up to level three and beyond, I And mean, that, that, that just doesn't exist. We just don't have that in our apprenticeship arrangements. We don't have it in our qualifications. So we're stymieing ourselves from policy right from the beginning. And to say we're going to drive everybody to level three um, is just utter madness in construction. The reality is it, it, it's level two. And, and, and there's massive shortages mm. at that level. Um, and government policy really heading almost in the opposite direction with the consultation started on level two now um, to sort of reduce the amount of qualifications and training at level two. It's a completely uh, worse thing that can happen for construction. We just don't, we haven't got policy lined up to crack this problem. Um, and, And it needs to be much, much more flexible. If somebody wants to move between, you know, hospitality uh, and become a carpenter, um, it's, a, it's a case, uh, an example, I've come across recently. Uh, that's really hard. That's that's just, mm. it, it, we make it so difficult, yes? Um, and we need to be able to make it easier for people to get into the industry. We just don't do that at the moment. And there needs to be a complete rethink on government policy. Uh, mm. And if, if they don't do that, then this problem's just going to
0: get worse. Yeah, do you think investment could play a real part in that? Because when obviously it comes to somebody leaving a role that they currently have and then moving into construction, then having to do all of the associated training, I mean, presumably that's yeah. going to have to happen before they can actually earn remuneration in construction. So yeah. obviously investment yeah. to make sure that they are sort of financially set up during their training period before they can go into work and earn a wage for themselves. That's also something to consider, isn't it?
1: it is it is we've seen some some of that happen um during the pandemic because people were paid under furlough so i've seen a couple mm. of cases where that's happened uh, and people were effectively supported through the furlough arrangements to reskill um but they they're gone Um so um and we haven't really got a way of now dealing with that and and the apprenticeship levy arrangements don't allow us to easily do that um there's no other form of sort of skills tax or or support that's easily available. The government says they'll they'll help adults with level three, um, but most of these jobs are at level two. Um, so you know there, there there isn't at the moment the investment support are easily available for people to to make that journey.
0: And I suppose one thing that they could look at doing as well is actually, you know, getting people in at that level too. And then, you know, the workplace experience, they could actually almost be training on the job, couldn't they? Invest in work experience, get them actually onto construction sites, into firms doing the the job, and then sort of learning and gaining their qualifications as they're working.
1: That, that that is true. In fact, we we're, we're involved in the the level one occupational traineeships, which is a, actually a brilliant program. But unfortunately, funding stops at twenty four. So if you're a young person, mm. it's fine. Uh, if you're an adult, um, no. Um, so it, it it's trying to make sure all of our policies work. So if we if we're going to give somebody some basic training to get them into work from which they can then develop you can't say well we're going to stop doing that at the age of 24. And we know for many of the construction trades, particularly the ones on the infrastructure side—that's the civil engineering side, which is where I predominant, where I may, my main experience is—then you tend to attract more adult workers um, into it to drive great big construction plant and 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 build nuclear power stations. And that it you do attract a lot of people that are over 25 uh, as new entrants into into it. And at the moment, the policies don't don't really easily support that journey of somebody moving from one sector into construction in that in those sorts of areas we just don't have the policies to support it or the funding mechanisms mm. because the levy doesn't the levy is about getting somebody into job you know that a young person into a job first time in in the main mm. it's an
0: incredible um, um so sorry to cut you off there Greg, it's an incredible catch 22 that isn't it that funding stops at 24 and so with all the funding aimed at the under 24 group that's the most challenging demographic to actually get into the industry in the first place so obviously your uptake yeah. there isn't going to be so significant until that's addressed
1: no 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 that, that that's true um and i think i think the difficulty is that a lot of government policy is aimed at that sort of 16 to 24 age group which is to get people into the industry uh, first time round and and that is good that's that is a priority i i accept that Um, But if we're going to do that, when we're going to have to really do something serious about the Baker Clause, we're going to have to really do something serious about the, the the way that education puts over the construction industry, the young people, but a large proportion of the people that come into construction come in after, after the age of 24. And at the moment we just don't have that, that sort of policy support to facilitate that, that change. Um, So we, I think there's not an understanding within government policy and skills at the moment about the importance of people moving sectors after, after the age of 24 and upskilling. They're, they're, we talk a lot about levelling up and building back better, but at the moment they are just slogans. And there is no proper real programs that's going to make that happen. Um, and what the Department of Education is doing with its apprenticeships, with its level four and level fives, its um, T-levels, it's, it's is not tackling at all leveling up and building back better. Mm-hmm. Because it's all really aimed at getting somebody into a job first time, You know, a, a young person, new entry into the sector. That is a priority. I accept that. But there's two priorities. There's the upskilling and the moving people who are adults. And we just don't have the, the policies, funding mechanisms, um, qualifications, um, training in place to properly do that.
0: And it feels like ministers have really missed a trick with that, haven't they? Because there there has been a lot of positive groundwork with the levy and with that sort of um, movement that we've seen during the, uh, the pandemic and indeed afterwards aimed at yeah. young people. But you've got to make that accessible, make that go further to... Yes. Sort of reach out to the adult workforce so that they can make that transition because it seems as if it, there are plenty it, it that want to do that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I suppose because of my experience on on the Olympics and um, you know you presented with the problem how do we how do we upskill and get unemployed people into work? You, you have to mentally think through. Uh, yeah, I've got to get some young people in, uh, but I've got to get adults in. And having been through that that sort of personal experience on the Olympics, I re I realise the importance of. Of having a two-pronged strategy towards skilling, one is young people, which the Department of Education has done quite a lot around. Yes, um, some of that good mm. T levels, not really very good for the construction industry. They might be for other sectors, but they're not. They're not working brilliantly in construction. Um, so they've done a lot of good work. The the level one uh, occupational traineeships, you know, there's some really good stuff there but they're only tackling one of of the major areas they need to tackle. They're not tackling the adults, and they're not not tackling the upskilling. And and at the moment, the levelling-up department's not doing that either. So there's a big gap in government policy here, massive gap.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you happen to sort of be the education secretary for a day, Graham, or working within that levelling up department, what sort of policies would you sort of personally try and implement to sort of address that problem from your point of view?
1: There's two things that I think I'd do. Um, One is to put in a proper funding mechanism for adults. Um, and maybe that's a skills tax, possibly, um, because we've seen the amount of money that employers are willing to spend decline as a result of the levy come in. So maybe we've got to you know, encourage people to train adults, and perhaps put a mechanism similar to the levy in place, but isn't an apprenticeship levy, is a training levy, possibly. I think that's worth a worth a discussion. And the other is we need proper training programs and accreditation qualifications that upskill people at the moment. Everything has been de- designed as one big massive course that you do three years at university or two years at college or two years at A-level. And that's great for young people. Um, but actually, an adult doesn't need that. They need you know, shorter courses. Um, and industry need to know they can do the job. So those are co- courses need to be properly assured and, and certificated. Um, and we just, we're, we're going in the opposite direction. Uh, we're not providing the type of modularized training that's necessary to get an adult into mm. work or to upskill the existing workforce on digitization and net zero. Just not there. It's not there in the thinking. Um, mm. So, uh, so those are the two things I would I I put on the table to Michael Gove uh, and uh, Nadine if 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 I was to sit in a, in a table with uh, with two with two uh, secretaries of state.
0: And it's quite incredible that um, just um, last week actually it was the 22nd of March. Um, Click, uh, quite a big firm, they launched uh, some research which actually found, and this is just kind of paints a picture of the trick that they're missing here. They uncovered that one third of UK employees, so thirty two percent, have actually left a role in the last twelve months in pursuit of better training. Employees are so desperately aware that they sort of they feel they don't have the skills needed for the modern workplace. They want to upskill, they want to train, and more than three quarters of them are actually spending on average two point six k of their own money on upskilling on training so that just shows you how much that adult workforce that they're not prioritizing wants to move into other industries wants to upskill wants to be fit for sort of you know the economy the workplace of the future and we're just not focusing enough on them
1: no i think that's true and i i think everybody can see the need everybody knows we've got major strategic changes we've got skills gaps uh, we've got net zero, which is going to change the way we build everything. Yes, our roads, our railways, our power stations, our houses, um, the the infrastructure in terms of IT, you know, the the World Wide Web, everything that we we build has got to be built in a completely different way, as well as the way we supply power to ourselves uh, through renewables. So massive change and you know, massive skill gaps. And it's going to need every job to change um we every job is going to be able to have to do its do its work in a more digitized way. Every job is going to have to be able to do its work in a way which is st- sustainable in terms of the planet net zero, and that needs massive amount of training and um and and it's just at the moment it just seems like a slogan um but without any real policy grip on it and uh, about any real prioritization it's just slogans
0: Yeah, when we talk about digitization actually um what clicks research again just going back to that for a second actually uncovered is that by the year 2040 data literacy so being able to work with sort of artificial intelligence that sort of thing yeah. that's going to be the most sought after skill so that's yeah. something that really really needs to be focused on it's going to require an awful lot of training so we've got a very yeah. very long way to go haven't we
1: we, we we have got a long way to go, and I'll just just use digitization as an example. Um, we we don't need to send somebody back to do a T-level or a full apprenticeship, yes, to be a bricklayer or a steel fixer or an engineering technician or whatever it is. What we need to do is to take somebody that's already got most of those skills and give them a short course that teaches them digitization, teaches them what they need to do for net zero, and... Um, and we're just a million miles away from thinking we've got to do it. Let alone have the programmes in place. Um, yeah, we, we've got a long, long way to go. And we don't have the same sort of flexible arrangements and progression arrangements in terms of developing our people that I've seen in Northern Europe uh, when I worked in Northern Europe. Um, uh, we, we just we just haven't. So we've got a massive uh, challenge ahead of us.
0: And I suppose what we don't want to happen is simply for the government to kind of kick the can down the road by just classifying construction as a shortage industry and relaxing immigration laws just to get more workers in from the EU and abroad to kind of plug the gap. I mean, as a short-term fix, that's all well and good, but this is a very long-term problem that we need to get a grip on.
1: Yes, it is. And and, and what I've talked about in terms of construction is actually applicable to other sectors as well in, in, mm. in many ways. Um, but construction's always had... That problem of not being seen as an attractive, um, valued uh, set of uh, skills uh, and occupations. So it's got an added problem to try and try and deal with. Um, and despite a lot of work by CITB and the, and the and the industry over the last you know thirty odd years, there's still a massive gap. Um, and and we need to to try and we we def- desperately need to try and fill that gap.
0: Mm, we certainly do. Absolutely right. And as we sort of think about the kind of immediate future in the next 12 months, uh, just before we wrap things up on the, uh, the programme today, Graham, I'd be interested to understand sort of what some of your priorities are going to be with within NOCN to try and sort of continue to address that, but also what you'd sort of like to see in terms of progress on the policy front. I know we've discussed some of that already, but just obviously in brief. Uh,
1: in terms of policy, I would like the government to... Um, set aside its prejudices over level three and level two, mm. and to realize that it's got to have proper upskilling qualifications um, and progression. Uh, I'd like it to really get to grips with, with that and maybe a skills tax um, uh, to, to actually facilitate and support the levy. So those are the policy things I'd like the government to focus on now. Um, in terms of us, Nocn, we will continue the journey. Over the last two years, we've been asked by industry for these smaller qualifications and training courses for upskilling, and we've been developing a whole range of those uh, with employers. Um, and we we're we can, going to continue down that same road because we think that's what's necessary for the industry. But it's not. It it doesn't fit with government policy. But we think. We we're going to respond to what industry needs and carry on down that route of um, you know, very focused uh, training qualifications uh, on uh, for the adults uh, to upskill them and to progress them.
0: And hopefully ministers do recognise that disconnect and recognise that you know policy needs to stretch further than it is doing. That's going to be kind of like the key thing. And once policy obviously stretches that far. I suppose that education is then going to follow suit, and then all of a sudden you'll have everybody kind of pulling in the uh, the right direction. That ultimately is what we need.
1: Yeah, uh, and we need a we need a proper skills strategy, which is for young people, adults, for all sectors, and recognising the continual need to upskill people. Um, because yes, it's digitisation, and it's net zero now. In ten years' time, it'll be something else. We've got to let, learn to live with the fact we're going to always have to upskill our workforce.
0: Exactly right. We're in that constant of flux, aren't we? There's always something else that we have to be ready for. And Westminster, I would urge you to take heed of everything that we've said today. Um, Graham thank you ever so much for joining us Um, it's been an immense pleasure having you and um, I do as well wish you all the luck in the world at NOCN and really sort of implementing those uh, things over the year the next year and indeed beyond and you know as we start to see the situation develop I'd I'd actually love to hear from you again and welcome you back onto the show where hopefully we'll have some positive things to talk about where there'll be some good traction towards those aims but let's just see what happens because like I say um, there are plenty of variables in this.
1: Thank thank you very much for the opportunity to speak
0: it's been an immense pleasure having you on the program Graham and Graham Hastings-Evans to everybody here um, listening into the uh, the podcast I hope you thoroughly enjoyed the interview and hearing what he has to say on the current skills shortage in the construction sector because it is an incredibly important issue and just for anybody tuning in if you do have anything else to uh, to say to us then all means do write into to us at the www.leaderscouncil.co.uk and via our website you can also apply to be on the program at forward slash apply if you do feel that your own firm has a similar story to share or even has its own tale of successive innovation to air on the podcast. Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, you have been tuning in to the Leaders Council podcast with your host, Scott Challoner. Do take care and goodbye.